When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venice. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, hey, great to be back working with you. Well, what are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by The Viking, Dave Darking. To be more like Dave, go to Patreon, search for The Joe Marler Show, and grow the show. Grow the show. Ah, it all goes back to Mandela. All roads <laughs> lead to Mandela. <laughs> ah, free Nelson Mandela. You're listening to The Marley Show A little bit of me and a little bit more of Joe Your van always looks really light, Joe. Just remind me, is it, is it a transporter or a caravel? It's a caravel and it's because mm. I've got four floodlights positioned around it just to mm. improve the lighting because I thought we also recorded um, the video but we haven't recorded the video once in the last... <laughs> Four months, so I don't know why I'm still paying copious amounts of money to rent these uh, floodlights just to have around my caravel. It picks out your cheekbones, though. I haven't seen my cheekbones in about, I'd say, oh, 11 years. Daisy often asks me, she said, what, what are you going to do when you uh, when you retire? And I, I say to her, what do you mean, what am I going to do? She went, you know, like physically. And you, I can see the fear. She's worried, isn't she? Yeah, she's going to think you're going to bloat. Because, you know, what, like, what are you going to do? Like, what sort of form of exercise are you going to do? In her head, she's thinking 18 stone, 22 stone, 30 stone. She's scrolling through all the possibilities. She's worried about the bloat. And I said, no, I, I really enjoy training. You know, it helps with my mental health, but I really enjoy training as well. It makes me feel good. And so I'll definitely train. And she's like, yeah, but will you get like, are you still going to be as big as you are? <laughs> I said, what do you mean, muscly? And she was like, no, no, I said big. Um, I said, I don't know. There's part of me that would like to get down to your size, Tom. See if I could actually run for longer than, I don't know, 5K. Is that a lot? Well, it depends where you're coming from. If you've never run 5K before, it is. Where are you coming from with that then? Because that's clearly a tee up for... It's fucking very little for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a bloody warm up. That's what the that's what you teed it up for, go on. Now, what I was going to say was I wouldn't fixate on the distance. Like if it's 5K, but you're running it very slowly, it's less tiring and less impressive than if you're doing 100 metres in the time of Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt was not less of an athlete because he never ran more than 400 metres. No, I like how you've tried wanging that one. You've said so much that it's perplexed me and confused me and I, <laughs> and I haven't got a choice but to go, yeah, shall we talk about the sleep expert? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a sleep expert on today, Joe. Oh, fuck, I haven't even done the start. Hang on. Hello. Hello, no, don't want to use that one. Hello, and welcome to our show. I'm Joe Marler, and this is Tom Fordyce. Thank you, Joe. You join me in my top bedroom. I have the duvet behind me. As you can see over my shoulder, I've shut the door. There are children, Joe, playing downstairs, unsupervised at present. Back to the studio. Thank you, Tom. I just need to make a call. Uh, Dace, have you got the number for NSPCC? <laughs> yep, we need to report that. Uh, wonderful. How was your Easter, Tom? Mistake I made, Joe. Don't know if Daisy does this. When you say to Daisy, are we doing, do you want much for Easter? And she goes, nah, it's, nah, you're all right. If you take those words at face value, that is a massive error. And I made that error. Oh, Maggie, obviously I've told you before, Maggie, last Easter, threw up everywhere. The beard vomit. Yeah, and that's actually scarred her a little bit. Ah, because after the Easter egg hunt we did around the garden, which Daisy makes too easy. She puts them in places they can see. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to like hide them under the caravan, not like just on the yeah. wheel arch 
or just on the gravel there. Like, no, they have to work for it. And she's like, Christ's sake, we'll, we'll be out here for hours. I was like, yeah, but that's the point. They could just be out here for hours. We'll go <laughs> in, put telly on, shall we? Um, so then we've sat down, divvying it all out on the table. And then Maggie was like, I'm not going to eat this one. Because you could, I could see the panic in her face. She's like, I don't want to throw up in your beard anymore. And I'm like, oh, Maggie. That is so kind and thoughtful. You don't want to projectile vomit all your chocolate in my beard this year. And I just thought, what a star. What an absolute star. See, that is the difference between girls and boys. Because Jasper would have been bang up for it. Oh, Jasper was nicking everyone's. And then Felix yeah. was, he had, at one point, he had a whole egg. You know, the big egg that he unwrapped in the foil. Just in both hands. It was bigger than his head. And he was like, yeah, I'm happy as Larry just chewing the fuck out of this. It was good. It was good. Um, you you look a little bit peaky, Tom. What, have you had your jab or something? I've had my jab, yeah. They've clearly in Nutswood, they're rolling it out to the under 35s. So must have had some spares. So, <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had my first one. What's it feel like? Did it hurt? Did the actual jab hurt or? How are you with injections? Because I always think if you look at the needle, it's worse. Yep. If you think needle, you're like, oh my God. If you think I've just brushed against a twig while walking through the woods, it doesn't hurt as much. Do you know what I mean? I've never sat there and gone, oh, I'm, I'm walking through a lovely forest and, oh, I've just brushed against a thorn. Ooh. And that, I've never thought that. I've, I've always sat on the bed. The doctor's gone, where is it? Where do you need inject it? Yeah, inject that. And then I'll look away and then I'll grab the bed as hard as I can. Yeah. And be like, oh, good over and still waiting for it. And then it comes in and I'm like, oh, and every time I'm like, oh, that's pathetic, isn't it? But but then soon numbs. And you've been, what's this? You've binned me off. I'm not big time enough for you, apparently. And now you're hanging out with big Wassy. Oh, listen, this was just, this is for a different show, Joe. Like, this is just, I wasn't hanging out with Wassy. We had him on the show. We had him on We Didn't Start the Fire, which is a podcast I know you've enjoyed. I have enjoyed it, but like, just stop plugging it on here. Like, you plug it God knows how many times. Like, yeah, We Didn't Start the Fire. It's fantastic. I really do enjoy it, but fucking hell. The weird thing is, when you listen to We Didn't Start the Fire, an excellent podcast you should listen to, there's loads of Joe Marler show plugs all over it. Uh, why was John? Why did you get Jonathan Ross out on? What what part did he do? So as you know, John, we didn't start the fire. Oh, for we Christ's Billy sake! Joel's number one smash hit and go through it lyric by lyric to do a pop culture history. No, mashup. I'm not teeing it up for this. Don't. Uh, you're going to get to the point where people just don't listen to it because you tell them to listen to it all the time. So you should go opposite. Don't listen to We Didn't Start the Fire, a podcast produced by Crowd Network and done by Tom Fordyce and Katie Puckrick. Have I said it right? Yeah, perfect. That's ideal. Should we talk about sleep, Joe? Are you a man who likes his sleep? I love my sleep. I'm not entirely sure I get enough of it. I'd say I'm about like five hours. Is that all? I'm a night owl and an early riser. So I'll probably go to bed about like 11, half 11. And then more often than not, I have to get up at five. But actually, that's six hours. What are you? I'm very much an early riser. You rise early, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always rise early. I know what you're trying yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we might pick up on that with our sleep expert. Yeah, 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 good. And I don't think there's a better way of selling what's coming up than that. <laughs> Today's guest is a sleep expert. His name is James Wilson, but he also goes by the name The Sleep Geek. James, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Tom, no, I'm not doing this again. I, do it, I have to do it all the time now. You, it's almost like you're purposely leaving a gap. <laughs> like i i don't mind awkwardness i in fact i thrive on it i relish it in awkward silences but it seems to me that every time i introduce a guest you purposely leave a longer pause than necessary for the listener the most listeners might not like the awkwardness and they don't like the talk about awkwardness even now and now you've made me talk about awkwardness so stop being awkward just say hello to james the sleep geek i mean i'd like to say hello if you stop talking <laughs> good hey james touche hello James, I've got a very simple but slightly weird question to start this off. What time do you go to bed, James? Generally, between half nine and eleven. I'm more larkish in my in my sleep type, so I am a, I'm a sort of in middle, but a bit of a preference for larkishness. If I want to go to bed with Mrs. Sleep Geek, she's she's more of an owl, so she actually she's more like half ten till twelve. So we'll go to bed between half ten and eleven if we if we wish to go to bed together, which we do because you know we love each other. But um, that, that's generally 
what time <laughs> I would go to bed at about half past ten. Does that matter? See, I worry about this, that even if you get the seven to eight hours sleep that is apparently recommended. That's often what we talk about, but actually everyone's different and sleep need is as much about quality as it's about quantity, which, which, which probably is the question you're going to ask because it's, it's not just about how much, it's about how good was the sleep you got. Well, that's interesting then. The question I was going to ask, does it matter what time you go to bed? Someone's told me, I'm sure they said, even if I go to bed at 11 or 12 o'clock at night and then I get up at 8 and I still get my 8 hours, which hasn't happened in at least 8 years for me, they're like, oh, you're still going to get shit sleep because you went to bed so late. I'm like, what do you mean? My body doesn't know that it's 12 o'clock at night, does it? So internally we've got a little clock and that clock is different for everyone. Everyone's clock is, is sort of gives them a preference on like a, a line. So some, at one end of the line you've got like extreme larks who'd be going to bed probably between 8 and 10 getting up between four and six and then you've got owls at the other end who go to bed after 11 and get up after eight so we all sit on that line we move along that line as we go through life so between 13 and your mid-20s you're more likely to be a, a night owl and getting to sleep at that 90 minute window of opportunity for you will lead you to fall asleep probably sooner and also having the impression that you've stayed asleep all night although nobody sleeps through the night everybody wakes up during the night but it is better for you to understand your sleep type when i'm working with people on their poor sleep, we start with that. Who are you as a sleeper? And we start with, you know, what is your sleep type? Are you a lark? Are you an owl? Are you somewhere in the middle? Everyone wakes up, Joe. It's not blowing your mind. Everyone wakes up in the night. I've got no recollection of this. Yeah, it is. What do you mean everyone's waking up? So everyone wakes up three to six times a night. You, you come in and out of your sleep cycle. It's part of our defence mechanism from when we had predators. So you come in out to check to make sure you're safe. Now, when you're sleeping well, you just turn over and go back to sleep. When you're sleeping poorly, you start thinking, you know, about work, kids, relationships, that embarrassing thing you did five years ago that you think this is the time I'm going to, two o'clock in the morning is the time I'm going to think about my failure. That's the way we're designed. So good sleepers who sort of say, yeah, sleep through the night. They don't, they just don't remember waking. Poor sleepers, when we're sleeping poorly, we will wake up and we, we will remember it because our body kicks in, our sort of stress hormones start to function and we are at our most vulnerable during the night. When you sleep well, you don't remember waking those three to six times. When you sleep poorly, you might remember every single one. To fall back to sleep or to ensure that you don't remember those awakenings, it's about dropping your heart rate. It's about being relaxed. It's about, you know, you're, you're at one with the world. You're, you're emotionally and physically secure. When you're like that, you're more likely to stay asleep or feel like you've stayed asleep. And, and if you do wake up, that's the state you're looking to get back into. Is it true, James? I read something ages ago which blew my mind. And that was that actually we didn't used to have one big long sleep during the night. So until the advent of artificial lighting obviously some people had candles but candles aren't a great way of staying awake <laughs> so is it true that people used to drop off asleep pretty much a couple of hours after it got dark and then get about four hours kip and then have this really nice little interval in the middle of the night where you'd all naturally wake up and apparently joe you'd all just sit around and have a little chinwag middle of the night and then you'd go right i'm ready for the second sleep good night everyone and you'd have a second sleep what i want to live in that time when was that time Take me there. Yeah, I think it's during the Middle Ages. It happened, but it's, that's more about the external environment than it is about our biology. You know, if we didn't have electricity, we, it's getting dark at four o'clock and getting light again at maybe eight o'clock. You're not designed to sleep for that long. So, so we used to do what you said. You know, we might fall asleep at five, six o'clock, have a couple of hours, have a wake up. You know, there weren't much to do. So you know, we, <laughs> we didn't have TV. We didn't have any devices. Couldn't, didn't even have books. All you could do was talk and, you know, the other thing. And, and that's what people did. I'm going to ask you the most obvious question, and it may come across stupid. However, I am stupid, so that's why it comes across like that. Why do we need sleep? What does sleep do for us? What's the point in it? Oh, sleep's amazing. Um, sleep is physically repairing you. So during the first sort of two and a half, three hours of sleep, you're having slow-wave sleep, known as non-REM stage three sleep or deep sleep, and that's where you physically repair. We then move into REM sleep, and during REM sleep, we are consolidating memory. When we're at school and we think, it's fine, I'll just cram all the revision in the night before, not go to sleep and do the exam. That's pointless because sleep is the part of your day where you remember what's happened and you put things in the right category in your brain. And then I think the most important part of sleep is, is where we emotionally 
sort of consolidate. It's like an overnight counselling session. It's where we are working through what's happened during the day emotionally and putting those into the, the right place for us. This is why at the moment with COVID, where we're little, we've got heightened stress levels, people are having things like more vivid dreams and people are having more disturbed sleep because that overnight counselling session is, is probably going on for a little bit longer. And it's that part of sleep. REM sleep, we are more likely to wake during REM sleep. And if we are sleeping poorly, it's that part of sleep we don't get. And this is the connection between sleep and mental health, that when we're sleeping poorly, it does affect our emotional resilience. And you all know this because there'll be times in your life where you sleep fine, someone's annoying you, you can tick it. Sleep poorly, someone's annoying you, you are good to go. You keep saying REM. Everybody hurts sometimes sometimes what's the next bit take comfort with your friends everybody cries rem james what does it actually mean apart from the band with the bald guy uh, rapid eye movement. So during that, that stage of sleep, your eyes are, are moving quite quickly. That's the stage where you generally remember your dreams and you remember your dreams when you have woken quite close to dreaming. Tom, do you remember any of the best dreams you've had or do you just not remember them? I can generally remember all my dreams. I have this weird thing, Joe, where when I wake up, the dream is really vivid. And then when I go back to bed that night, it's almost like I've left a little aroma to dream on the pillow. And it's, as my head hits the pillow, some of the, the, the colour and the detail of the previous night's dream comes back. Wow, that is cool. What about the time where, because I, I do love sleeping and I could sleep on a bed of nails. I could just think, does that mean I'm sleep deprived? Someone who could sleep anywhere, does it usually mean that they're sleep deprived? I would, if someone says that to me, that's, that's often the first question you ask. Is there any other symptoms that you might be sleep deprived? So if, if we say you could fall asleep at 11 o'clock in the morning, sat in a car, driving somewhere, that would suggest to me that there might be some sleep deprivation. So excessive daytime sleepiness. So something where, you know, you wouldn't normally fall asleep. You might, you might start watching gnomes under armor at half 10. If you fall asleep then, then, then that would be something we'd, we'd, we'd worry about. I think mostly because you, you should be your most alert and active at 10, 11 in the morning. So in terms of your body clock, which we talked about earlier, in terms of sleep type, you should be your most alert then. So when I'm working with people and we're trying to work out how much sleep do they need, we're looking at like how much good quality sleep do you need to feel alert and active at about 10, 11 in the morning. People are a bit obsessed with tracking sleep and, you know, like getting really obsessed with, I need to have eight hours, 45 minutes and 13 seconds because otherwise my, my, my tracker tells me that I'm really bad. Actually, sleep's not really like that. It's more, you know, it's that combination of quality and quantity and it's a feeling. You can't make yourself fall asleep at half past 10. Nobody can. You can't fall asleep. But sleepy is a feeling and you need to understand what sleepy feels like. And you also need to understand what being awake feels like. And if you feel a bit lethargic at the time you should feel awake, then, then that's an indicator you've got a bit, you might have a bit of a sleep issue. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I often find myself late at night where I think I've fallen asleep, but then I think I'm awake and I'm not sure whether I'm awake or asleep. And then I, I always get this shadowy figure come across the room or someone's in the room or I've got this presence like almost like a ghost and I'm not I don't believe in ghosts and all that so you know I'm very much a skeptic and stuff but I get scared to death thinking that there's a burglar in the house and I can't get up it's like I'm trapped like the paralysis sleep paralysis that's what it feels like but it's so vivid that I think someone is standing over the bed and I shit myself and I'm like I'm trying really hard to wake myself up wake myself up but I think I am awake so James, I'm asking for a little bit of clarity, really, on what the fuck is happening to me at, at night. Or is there someone actually in my house? There's not someone in your house, that's the good news. Um, it, it is sleep paralysis. So during REM sleep, the one thing we've not talked about uh, during REM sleep is that we are actually paralysed to stop us acting out our dreams. So when the paralysis switches off, but we're still asleep, that's sleepwalking. And when paralysis stays on, but we wake up, that's sleep paralysis. And your brain's thinking... Why can't I move? And that's why I imagine something, something scary and horrific, because it's trying to sort of make an explanation as to why you can't move and it hallucinates something. So quite a common phenomena. Most of us will suffer from it at some point in our lives. But I've, I, I worked with a, a lady who was, who was um, suffering from it and it, like six, seven times a night and every morning she'd send me recordings of her responding to the pulses. So about half six, I'd wake up and I'd get like seven messages of her screaming and running out of the room as she finally sort of comes out. Not the best way to wake up, if I'm honest. Um, so the, these are known as parasomnias, whether it's sleepwalking, sleep talking, whether it's sex somnia, whether it's Pardon? sleep eating, sorry, whether it's... Sorry, sleep... sorry, sorry, sorry. You can't speak at 100 miles an hour, drop in sex somnia and just not expect me to jump on that stop tell me more about sex somnia well sex somnia is like sleepwalking but rather than sleepwalking you are 
try and get a bit um, sexual during, during <laughs> sleep. So it's quite an interesting one. I, I work a lot in organisations and I was talking about sex somnia and a, a girl in the audience sort of like put her hand up and said, yeah, I've got that. And then kind of really vividly explained what she did to her boyfriend during <laughs> sleep. And it were quite, no, it were, it were, it were 18 plus, it were pretty blue. Um, and you've never seen a room full of people's jaws drop at one. <laughs> Well, she's kind of like going into too much detail about what she did to her boyfriend. Um, so I would always say with sex somnia, if, if you do suffer from it, no, I always say to people, drop me a line, but we, we, we don't always have to go into the, to the, to the brutal details of what happens. But it's, it's, it's also, you know, it, we can laugh about it, but it's also something that has happened where people have been accused of rape, have been convicted of rape because of it. So it's, it's, not, it's, it's really horrible for the people who suffer from it because they feel quite shameful and guilty. And I, I've, I've had other people when I've done a talk who will come up and have a chat about it. And, and that's what it feels. So it's one of those ones where it's, when you've got sleep problems, you feel quite lonely. It's quite a lonely thing. And suffers of sex on me, that's one of them because they do feel embarrassed. You know, you don't want to, you know, and they are worried because if it's a new partner and one of the first conversations I've got to have is, I do this. And, and some people can be a bit like judgy on that and be sort of, um, well, there must be something wrong with you. And, and it, all it is, is in your sleep, part of the brain is waking up and another part of the brain is not. And you get this sort of, this effect of sleepwalking, sleep talking. I had a lady who would carry her child around the house. I've had people who would shop during the night. Shop? How? Shop. So they go online and they'd order things on eBay. And what? she'd order things, she'd order things like a canoe cover, but she ain't got a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it, like, you know, you, people think when I tell that story, oh yeah, Chinny reckon we've all we've all used that excuse. But it, it, you know, she, she didn't she didn't want to do that. Her husband would hide the credit card, but she'd be trying to find it. If she hid the credit card, well, she knows where it is because she hid it. You know, I don't think we fully understand the process of dreaming. We don't understand the process of parasomnias. There's a lot of stuff around lucid dreaming and stuff like that. It's not something I know I know too much about, but people are trying to control our dreams. And, and one of the sort of treatments for PTSD is dream completion therapy, which is a really sort of like interesting way of, so when people are having like horrific dreams based on a horrific experience, one of the sort of the, the treatment that's going to be more and more prominent is to actually f- help them finish those dreams and, and come to a conclusion to, which, which helps their recovery from the, the, the quite traumatic thing that they've, they've experienced. Joe, did you ever have nightmares as a kid? Do you still have nightmares? Yeah, I do still have nightmares. I Obviously, I spoke about it briefly on the Cheesemonger episode that I would eat cheese before bed copious amounts not just because i have a very large appetite but because i was also still trying to get all this casein and whey that's in the cheese and the zinc and the magnesium whatever that is actually used to give you more vivid dreams or i'd take certain tablets to make me more vivid dreamer um acid acid i have looked into (laughs) i have looked into people taking acid and mushrooms to try and improve their depression actually tom all jokes aside microdose yeah and i watched a program on that where guys were taking acid and mushrooms microdosing like you said and tripping out on it and they were videoing it i was like what the fuck because it could bypass the synapses or something anyway that's completely off subject the question was do i dream or have nightmares did i have nightmares yes when i was little i mistakenly put a vhs in the video player i was about five or six thinking that it was thomas the tank engine it wasn't. It turned out to be child's play. Uh, oh, no. So Chucky the doll haunted my childhood dreams. That was what I grew up with. I still have the occasional trip with Chucky the doll. But as a kid also, my sisters used to have these like China face dolls, like yeah. older ones. Oh, and they'd, God, yeah. They'd have quite a few. But because I was going through this phase, I just went around and smashed all the dolls' faces because I thought they came alive at night because of the same as Chucky. So... <laughs> Maybe all these heirlooms that could make people gazillionaires these days have got all smashed faces because of it. So they were my nightmares. What about you? Do you have you experienced many nightmares? Or yeah, I, st- I still have nightmares. And maybe the greatest single thing that happened to me as a kid was learning the trick of being able to wake yourself up out of a nightmare when you're about to be eaten by a fox or a wolf or something, and you're absolutely shitting yourself. Learning the ability to go, this is a dream. I can wake up. And being able to wake up was maybe the greatest discovery I ever made as a kid. It was an absolute game changer. How did you do that? I don't know, James, what's going on there? Well, I think it's probably the physiological response to the fear you've got, where actually you start coming out of sleep quite quickly because your body's like, oh my God, it will be vivid and your body will feel that. So often when we are in those like horrible running away from something, something's after us, something's attacking us, we'll wake up and it's, your body learns that the best response to this, to stop this horrible thing happening, is to come out of sleep. In that process, 
you're telling yourself, I've, I've woke up here and I know what's happening. You have dreams that you remember, which is during REM sleep, but also during deep sleep, you can have something that looks like a dream. So in kids in particular, there's sort of something called night terrors. Yeah. Night terrors are, are when maybe your eyes are wide open, you're screaming like a blood curdling scream. Like if you're in the room with someone going through a night terror, it, it looks like they're, they're possessed. And then if you ask me in the morning, like, what on earth were you doing? They're like, I don't even know that. I was asleep. Like, what, what, what on earth were you doing? And they are quite common in kids. They're 80, 90% of kids suffer from that at some point, And they can be quite horrific. And, and so when we talk about sleepwalking, there are two sort of different types. There is sleepwalking where in REM sleep where you probably remember it and you're acting something out. And then there's the sort of same thing happens in deep sleep, but you don't remember. And again, I had a colleague who was a, who was a neurologist and he had a, worked with a lady who would drive during deep sleep and she wouldn't, she would not be able to remember it. And she would be drive. fully clothed. She'd be eyes wide open. And neighbors would see him and say, oh, uh, you were out last night at three o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? She can't remember it. She'd give him away for everything. And, no. and again, I would understand the, of why that's happening is, is not fully formed. This is the thing with sleep. We don't understand it in the same way we understand other things around well-being, like nutrition and exercise. It's a really magical world. And for her, it was time lock saves that saved her because she could put her car keys in that. Because again, like the lady with the credit card, she hides the keys. She, she knows where they are. The actual triggers and the reason people, the genetics to it. So often if you've done that, your kids will do it or your, your parents have done it. But then there are triggers. So it's being stressed and anxious is probably the main one, but also something like temperature. So when kids have night terrors, often it's just that they're too warm. We have, we have a tendency to like really overheat our children when it comes to sleep. And, and that's a really big trigger. Alcohol, alcohol's a big trigger for sleepwalking and, and things like that. So you'll often read in the newspapers, like someone's gone sleepwalking when they're on holiday and the, you've got temperature and you've got alcohol there. And they've maybe never slept well in their life before, but the external environment's created a, a set of uh, circumstances that, that triggers them and, and they've, they've wandered off and they've fallen off a balcony. And it's one of really, really horrible things. Now, often you'll read the story and they'll have fallen 40 foot, but they've survived because obviously they're asleep. So when they hit the floor, they're quite relaxed. You know, they do break every bone in the body, but they are quite relaxed when they do it. So it is, it can be something that generally you'll have had all your life if you suffer from it. It does happen, seems to happen more when we, when our hormones are changing. So when we're teenagers, and then for women around the menstrual cycle, they'll, it'll happen more. And then when the, the menopause, it can happen more. But it's, it's a, I'd say it's definitely genetic. The one interesting thing about sleepwalkers that I meet, they have a tendency to sleep naked. I'm looking at a company again and a, a girl in the audience is like, yeah, I sleepwalk. I often end up in my neighbor's garden naked. Like, all oh, right, is the, you take your clothes off as part of the sleepwalking. And I know I sleep naked. Like, well, maybe, maybe don't do that then if you. <laughs> If you don't want to give your neighbor a nice little treat <laughs> as he wakes up in the morning. Um, so it's quite a common phenomenon that I meet a lot of sleepwalkers who seem to sleep naked. And I, and I reckon they, they proper fancy themselves. Um, and they're looking <laughs> to give us all a little treat. Tom, do you remember our phone call this morning? What did, I can't remember what Daisy was saying, but she, I'm sure she said she had a friend that um, would sleepwalk, but his go-to was uh, he'd get up and get fully kitted out in his cricket whites and his padding oh, yeah. and he'd be out in the garden <laughs> garden and then he'd just go back to bed and you'd be like what the fuck this isn't possible these are made up stories surely in sports it's really common i do a lot of work in sports and i have you know i have goalkeepers who get who get again get fully like togged up and like jumping on the bed in the hotel catching catching the ball i've got uh, a footballer who heads the ball in his sleep well i, I had, had a lady who, with, who would make sandwiches in her sleep um, but not eat them and so her, her husband would come down every morning and there'd be a nice sandwich waiting for him he was gutted when when we solved that problem it's a dream scenario yeah he, he weren't best pleased when we managed to uh to stop her doing it i've got a mate and i'm not going to say his name but people who know me listen to this will know who i'm talking about who so there'll be some trigger in his brain it seems that tells him he needs a pee but it, the other part of his brain says that as long as he's doing an approximation of lifting a toilet seat then he can urinate so down the years <laughs> when he was a teenager and he had an old-fashioned stereo in his room he hit the eject button on his tape deck, pissed in his tape deck. <laughs> his girlfriend at the time had seen him wake up, or appeared to wake up, walk to her pants drawer, pull open her pants drawer and piss on her pants. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> he's done the corner of the room a number of times. And on a stag do, he famously, in the corridor, pissing in the corridor of the hotel, and then sort of woke up once the piss had finished and realised that he, not only was he naked, that he didn't have his room key, but he couldn't remember which room he was in. Oh, no. And had to go down to reception, <laughs> naked, where the man at reception had seen it all happening on CCTV and just silently pushed a new key across to him. 
He's had a stinker. He's really common. I've, I've had people just having a wee downstairs. And that was your mate of mine at school. It was dead like, like, what? What are you doing? I'm having a wee, quite clearly. Um, I've, everyone's got that thing. I've got my, one of my mates. He, uh, when we go away and stag do, he, he's got a tendency to like move beds around and start digging holes in the middle of the, uh, the hotel room. I once woke up to him with like him sort of looming over me with his hands halfway up my legs. And I'm hoping he was on his way up, not his way down when I caught him. But he <laughs> were, he were, you're right there. Yeah, you're going to go back to sleep. I am, yeah. And, and he, he went back to sleep. But it's, it, I think it's more common than we actually realise. And we, we do laugh about it. And it's, I think when I do any sort of media, when I've done TV programs, stuff like that, it's always a thing that we like focus on for sleep issues. But people aren't sleeping when it happens. And it is, there are things we can do, like I've described. It's all addressing what the actual trigger might be. Are we a bit stressed? Is it temperature? Is it caffeine? Is it alcohol? And can we start to minimise them triggers? And, and what often happens is when it's really bad. So the lady I was talking about who would walk around a house with a kid in her arms, she just didn't want to go to sleep because she didn't want to, you know, she didn't know where she'd end up with a kid. And she's going up and downstairs with him and she was worried. And she was actually looking to have another child. And, you know, one kid in your arms, that's quite easy. Two kids, you no, know, how are you going to hold them both? It'd be, it'd be quite difficult. So, so with her, it was sort of, we were looking and her triggers were her, her husband snored and, and she got quite warm during the night. And we just sort of reduced that, that temperature and we put a topper on that allowed you to set the temperature and that, that really helped. And she went from like six, seven times a night at its worst to once a month because it's not a thing you cure. It, it's there. It's part of you, but, but it's minimizing. It's trying your best. And, and in the worst case scenarios, often you then go and see a neurologist and, and there are drug treatments that can, that can occur. If it's happening every single night, then it's worth trying to do something about it. We've obviously made quite lighthearted of uh, dreams and sleepwalking and all that sort of stuff. But there is a, there's a couple of examples of darker tales particularly in America, because, I mean, it always happens in America, let's be honest. All the crazy stuff happens in America. And there's been a couple of cases where people have sleep-killed, or there's been a couple of cases where they've managed to use it as a defence when it was actually not a legitimate defence and they've got off. But there's also sadder cases where someone has actually... uh, There's a guy here who's called Scott Falater who is just stricken with guilt because he murdered his wife during his sleep. And what? that that that's scary as shit, isn't it? Because he ends he ends up stabbing her several times, waking up, and he has no recollection of doing it at all. And that's like, oh fuck, are we ever actually in control of ourselves during during our sleep? Like our mind must surely be taken over by our mind. I mean, that sounds stupid saying it out loud, but... But it'd be right, it is, you know, during sleep, our brain is more active than it is during the day. It's got so much to do. It's really, really busy. So that's why we need it. You know, the, the first question you ask is, why do we need sleep? It's because it's got lots and lots of work to do to help us recover. It, it's the biggest tool for physical and emotional recovery. And I think in those cases, generally, if, if you're using sort of a, a parasomia's defence, you, you, you've got to have done it before. It can't be your first time that you've done it. And, and there, are, you know, there are experts who, th- that's their job, mm-hmm. to go around the world to work out whether these people have sort of suffered a, a parasomnia episode or whether it's a calculated attempt to avoid, avoid a crime that's been committed. So we'll talk about insomnia and Rotherham's top shagger in a moment. But first, we've got to do the ads. The Zimmerman, that's Philip Han Zimmer, would like Joe to bring back his X Factor voice to introduce the adverts. Joe, would you mind? This is for you, Philip Han Zimmer. The adverts... Come now. The adverts are coming. Here come the adverts. Right, this week's official sponsors, all bankrolling the Sham Patreon, include... Return after Mac. Mackenzie Remington. He's not dead. James Dean. Benners. The poorly nicknamed Peter Bennett. The Swindler. Joss Swindles. On my first whistle. Tom Anderson. President Christopher Bartlett. That's bad. President Christopher Bartlett. Superskin. Matthew Ruskin. Also known as Foreskin. <laughs> bad joke. Bad, bad. Lord Southworth. Dave Southworth. And the joystick. Ben Joyce. To be more like Ben, Dave, Matthew, Christopher, Tom, Joss, Peter, James and Mac. Get the Patreon app, search for The Joe Marler Show and grow the show. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What about the opposite of sleep, James? So I think Joe is probably a good sleeper. I'm usually a decent sleeper, but I'm absolutely fascinated and I think horrified as well by not only the idea of insomnia, but the torture. Proper insomnia is torture, isn't it? It is. And that's why I do this job because I'm a poor sleeper. I'm genetically a poor sleeper. My mum was a poor sleeper. My grandpa was a poor sleeper. And I had those sort of, in my, in my teenage years in particular, in my early twenties, those, those like 2000 nights and night after night, that, that, that loneliness of insomnia, that, that fear, the adrenaline you can taste. For me, the issue was that my family made beds and mattresses and sold beds and mattresses. So I were, I were, you know, I was from a third, a third generation mattress and bed person and i couldn't sleep and that's not a good advert is it what would you buy a mattress off a man who can't sleep <laughs> no was often the answer yes sir please buy the mattress that's definitely going to help you sleep tonight i haven't slept in 10 years but don't worry about me just buy the mattress give me the money now motherfucker and that's it well, sorry, I, I wouldn't tell anyone because for that exact reason no one's gonna buy a mattress off me are they but i came really interesting because i was in an industry that that like sold sleep but didn't really understand sleep very well you know mattresses aren't really designed in a way that thinks about sleep first often like i worked around sleep experts and they're often quite patronizing they'd be like well here's the eight things you need to do i've done them but i can't sleep yeah but you can't do them right because i'm a doctor and you're not so it must be you as a problem not me and as he sort of often sleeps approached like nutrition and exercise like you can force it you can you can make yourself better at it and any poor sleeper will tell you the harder you try to sleep, the, the worse it gets. So I, you know, I, I experienced that in my, um, in my sort of teenage years, in my, in, in my early twenties. And I trained as a practitioner and part of it was for me to get better. And I think the one thing I've, I've realized I am, I am who I am. I, I don't always sleep well, but I, I know generally why I haven't, you know, if I have a cup of tea, overnight I had a cup of tea at about seven o'clock and at four o'clock the next morning I woke up and thought I shouldn't have had that cup of tea. That for me, that's too late, but sometimes I do, you know, it's, it, life is, is to be lived. You have to be a little bit rock and roll. You have to have a cup of tea at seven o'clock sometimes. <laughs> that's what you have to do. Whoa, you steady on. You go, you're steady. <laughs> um, insomnia is a horrible, horrible experience. And, and one of the, the issues is that where we go for support within our health system, general medical degrees include about an hour and a half of sleep training. So if something that we all do, something that we will die without, you can live longer without food than you can without sleep. Something that is fundamental really? to his living. What? You can last about nine days without sleep you can last about 19 without food nine days and we know this because there's a there's a family um, with a genetic disorder called fatal familial insomnia they have a, a genetic mutation which means that they, they die from lack of sleep and so during the last six months of their life they go through sort of like an, an alzheimer's dementia type condition very quickly and at the end of that they just don't go to sleep and, and the body ends up shutting down so when you ask why do we need sleep because if we didn't get it nine days later we'd be dead Right, so you're saying I can't live without sleep. It's like saying you can live without breathing. It's that fundamental. It's food, water, air and sleep that are four things that we need. But to get help around sleep is incredibly difficult often. Incredibly difficult. And that's, 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 so when you are a poor sleeper, you do feel lonely. You feel lost and you'll go to your GP and often they'll look at other things. So they'll look at, have you got a deficiency in something like vitamin D, vitamin B? Have you got, have you got deficiencies in iron? Have you got funny fatigue syndrome? Have you got ME? And, it, and actually they don't often look at sleep issues. There's sleep disorders like sleep apnea, which is a breathing disorder. There's things like restless leg syndrome, but there is for most of us is poor sleep, but also that type of chronic insomnia is different to kind of sleeping poorly. I don't think unless you've had re periods of sustained periods of poor sleep, you don't really understand what that feels like to drag yourself out of bed. But the one thing for poor sleepers to remember and insomniacs to remember is there might be rubbish at sleeping, but they are world-class at being tired. So what we do as poor sleepers, we'll tell ourselves <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning, oh, I'm going to be awful tomorrow. But those people get through it. They always get through it. They always do. So it's sort of changing your mindset. For me, I know that I'm a poor sleeper and I will have periods of poor sleep, but I always get through it, so I'm all right. And the actual best thing for good night's sleep tonight is a bad night last night, because sleep is a drive. So the system that creates sleep, from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep, you are getting sleepier. But this is why we fall asleep at silly times. This is why, you know, you'll be, you'll be sat watching 
owns under ammo at half nine in the morning, you fall asleep, or you're in a car and you fall asleep, you know, because your body needs it. So as soon as you give it the conditions it needs to sleep, dropping heart rate, dropping core temperature, it'll, it'll find sleep. It'll, it'll try and get it. Why do I nod off, say, about six o'clock, and I have about 20, 30 minutes nap in front of the TV with the kids or something, and I've nodded off, and then I wake up, and then I can't sleep. I've only had 20 minutes, and then I can't get to sleep. Why does having that nap cure my tiredness it does it reduces that sleep pressure so if you think about it like that pressure is like a bottle of pop you have a little nap it releases the pressure a little bit Shh. so you end up like not being asleep at night time so naps are often used as an energy boost they're great for productivity but for some people they can pinch nighttime sleep so if we're napping generally nap before 2 p.m less likely to cause a problem for about 30 minutes because you, you're then not going to deep sleep and some people nap and they say don't they oh i can't nap i feel so groggy when I wake up from a nap, they're just doing it for the wrong amount of time. If you nap for between 30 minutes and an hour and a half, you're probably going to wake up in deep sleep. So, so, but I'd also argue if you're napping for more than an hour and a half, that's not a nap, that's a sleep. And, and again, this is a problem I come across quite a lot where I had a lady I was talking to in an organization and she was like, I, I can't stand why I can't fall asleep at 11 o'clock, James, I can't stand it. All right, well, take me through what you do from when you get home from work. Well, I get in, I put my pajamas on, I go to bed at half past five and I'll, I sleep till half past nine. <laughs> then I have my tea. And then I go back to bed at half past 10 and I can't get to sleep. And I don't know why. And then I fall asleep at two and I wake up at six. But I don't know why. And it's like, well, that's because you just had that massive, what you call a nap at the wrong time. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting with what we, what we describe a nap as. And naps can be really useful. I work with shift workers. I work with sports people. They work for both those audiences, for some of both those audiences. So the perfect nap time you're saying is between 20 minutes and an hour. Well, the research actually shows the perfect nap time is 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Um, between sort of 10 minutes and 30 minutes for that energy boost. If you want to have a, something a bit longer, try and aim for more than an hour and a half. In between those two times, if you wake up between 30 minutes and an hour and a half, you're likely to wake up feeling pretty awful. In, a, in our scheduling, when we'd go away in England camps, I mean, this is how regimented some things are sometimes after lunch there'd be a specific nap time and it would be recommended that we have a coffee even an espresso usually espresso double espresso and then get into bed and nap for about half an hour and think and i was like what do you mean have a coffee and then go for a nap and they would say yeah because it's brilliant that's the sort of perfect time for then the coffee to then kick in so it doesn't kick in straight away you can get your head down get some rest you can do the learnings of the session we've just done you can do the physical um, response to the training session we've just done as well and then you're alert to then go again for the afternoon session does that make sense it does it does in theory so what what you describe is known as a nappuccino so you you have nice it's got a name a, i like it a nappuccino yes. yeah so it, but, the, but the issue with it is uh, working sport gets quite a lot where it, not everyone needs a nap at that time and some people don't and actually so the people who didn't need a nap what what you're giving them is a shot of caffeine that probably at some point in the next sort of couple of hours, they're going to have a bit of a crash after it. And it, it hasn't done the thing you need to do because working in sports, you know that it's often like, here's X, Y, and Z. If you do these three things, you're going to get this out, this thing happen. And sleep doesn't work like that. Sleep doesn't meet. So when, I, when I've worked in, in sport, I did a, a first of all measured sleep intervention in football with Rotherham United. And at first, just they all start competing. Like, oh, James, I've had 16 hours sleep. I'm, I'm winning. Well, no, we've had too much. That's curious. Hang on, you can have too much sleep? Oh, yeah, you can definitely have too much what, sleep. What, does having too much sleep hinder you as much as having not enough sleep yeah in exactly the same way so so your body is in, in a sleep mode when you're asleep so all your major organs are in sleep mode you put your body into that sleep mode for too long and actually the worse than too little or too much is actually massive variations so the, so if you have massive variations in sleep that will affect those major organs because if for most of the week you're having six and a half hours sleep and then at the weekend you're lying in 10 11 hours well your body has lots to do during sleep and it's done it in six and a half hours and then you give it an extra sort of four hours sleep. That, that's poor quality sleep. It's done its jobs. You, but your body's still in that, that sleep mode. So your major organs are still in that sleep mode. So you're putting them into sleep mode for too long. It's harder to get going. So often at the weekend, you'll find you have more sleep, but feel more lethargic. And that's why, because your body doesn't need more sleep. It needs consistent sleep to, to operate efficiently. Why? Well, I've got another, I've got a note on my notes, funnily enough, um, that says, Ask James about Rotherham's top shagger. So um, is this sleep related or James related? I don't care. I need to know. You've met Rotherham's top shagger, have you? It was self-proclaimed. It was, the, the, the young man in question was self-proclaimed Rotherham's top shagger. I ran a, a sleep shot. We sold mattresses and uh, I went to deliver a mattress and uh, 
I went to collect the other mattress and Alt Springs, you could hear Alt Springs in it, he were rattling about. And I sort of rattled and went, what's happened here? He looked at me and went, Robin's top shagger. <laughs> so there you go. That's how you know. If you can break all your springs in your bed, it makes you a top shagger. I suspect from the vibe he weren't, to be honest. I, I, I weren't getting that vibe off him. But, and it is like, because selling sleep products, sometimes you have some very strange experiences. You know, I sold a lot, lot of red uh, silk bedding to addresses in Earl's Court at one point. Um, well, I'm not going to suggest what, what, the, what the jobs of the, the people buying that bedding might have been. But I think, I think we'll probably sell him silk bedding prostitutes. I used to have a flat in Earl's Court. <laughs> Just saying, they're my favourite type of sheets. You bought a lot of them, Jeffrey, were you? We had lots of bedrooms. It's quite an intimate thing, sleeping. It's quite intimate. So people do sort of share with you. I, I worked with a, a lady who was going through the menopause and her husband had sleep apnea. And they haven't been getting on. She's like, he's annoying. I hate him. He's um, <laughs> sleeping in another room. I hate him. And we, and we sort of we went through a process of kind of getting him sleeping better. And she she sent me an email to tell me like, well, it's like weird. It used to be a knobhead, but now I love him. Um, they're, still, <sighs> they're sleeping better. So you know that makes your your relationship better. But then she graphically told me how the sex life had massively improved since. <laughs> Please no. You can't unread that though, can you? This is what you're doing. You're helping the people in the things that really matter the most to them. Well, it is, and that is, that is the best thing about my job. I get to help people um, sleep better, have better relationships, perform better in the jobs, be better parents, um, and obviously, at times, have better sex. So, you know, it's, a, it's, all, it's all a win. On that subject, James, what's the story? Morning glory. <laughs> Good. Good. Always lowering the tone. <laughs> Why am I getting morning glory? Why, why do I get morning glory? I think it's around sort of testosterone levels at that time in the morning. And it might be the dreams that you're having that you've not quite remembered. In sport, and, and men in particular, sports men in particular, are fascinated around the world of sleep and sex. So I get asked lots of questions. My favourite one is always, can I masturbate before, before a match? Can I masturbate before bed? Never can I have sex, never that. Can I, can I masturbate? <laughs> What's that got to do with the sleep? I don't, well, why are they, they ask, asking a sleep <laughs> expert about wanking? Surely they should be asking a wanking expert about wanking. You would think, wouldn't you? But on, off my sleep point of view, I, I think it, I think he doesn't he doesn't do any harm. He relaxes you. That's good before bed. You know, it's yeah, like a nutritionist we had when we were in the academy coming through. This poor woman. <laughs> One of the boys went. Um, excuse me, Jane. Will it make a difference if I uh, masturbate before a game? Will it make me like less angry <laughs> and like I shouldn't do it and thing? And she was like, "What?" And her go-to was also always everything in moderation. So she wasn't a very specific nutritionist. Like boys would ask, can I have a Domino's? She'd go, mm, everything in moderation, yeah. Okay, can I eat chocolate? Everything in moderation. Can I wank before a game? Everything in moderation. What? You're not giving me an answer. Do I just half wank? Do I, what do I do? Can I go full blown sex? Like there's just no answers. I think, I think my, my advice would be nothing too vigorous. So you want it to be like, you know, if you're having sex, it's just sort of average at best. If you, you, you're not, you're not pulling out your best moves night before a game. It's going to, that, that might cause a problem. So I think, I think you have got to think about, I think about what you, what you're, uh, what you're getting up to before. What uh, you're saying is night. don't be a considerate lover, be a selfish lover. Well, you could, you could take it, yeah, you could take it that way, I suppose. That, that could be a way of, uh, of taking it. But I'd always find it strange that no one asks about sex. It would always be about master. You, you can have sex now. Oh, can I? Like, as if, as if, as if that was off the table the night, the night before a game. So, Tom, we've got a message from Melge Alloway. Do we want to ask it or do we want to get it in there? Yeah, I like it because Melge is possibly our only listener in Holland or the Netherlands. I'm going to ask you to pretend to be him because you do the better Dutch accent, if that's okay. So, you read out his questions, please. Okay, Joe, I have a question. Maybe you can pass this on to James Wilson, the sleep geek. Why do Buddhist monks wake up at four in the morning? Good. Um, I've, 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 you know, I've, I've had most sleep questions before. I've never had that one. I, I, a couple of a couple of theories, um, not having talked to a Buddhist monk about their sleep, I can't say this for definite. It may be that it's, it's, it's light at that time where they are and they have no curtains. That could be a suggestion. It could be the alarm goes off at four o'clock and they're expected to uh, to start their Buddhist monk day. At that time, uh, that 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 would be my other my other suggestion. There is a bit of a in in, in society. There is a bit of a, a, a misconception that that being a lark is better. That it makes you a better person. It makes you a winner. And actually, I'm, I think I, I am a lark myself. Um, so you'd think I would I would be down with that idea, but no, because I think night owls often get perceived as being lazy. They get perceived as being as being like you know the dregs of society because they can't contribute until after eight o'clock in the morning. And I do think that is wrong. So I, I would say just because a Buddhist monk wakes up at four o'clock in the morning doesn't mean we should be waking up at four o'clock in the morning. And I, re I read a lot about, so I'm doing some work on sleep idols. There's this idea that 
if we sleep like a celebrity or, or Jeff Bezos, for example, we will become them. And that's not true. So, so Ronaldo, the uh, Christian Ronaldo, he allegedly has five naps a day and every nap he has, he has clean bedding. What? Serena Williams has 12 hours. You know, Lionel Messi has five hours plus a little bit of naps in between. Roger Federer has 10 or 11 or 12, whatever you, it depends on what you read. And, and it ain't true. What they've all done, actually, is they've worked out what works for them. When, when Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, this time, next day, loads of people put yourself out and saying, Tom Brady goes to bed at half eight and wakes up at half six. Like, well, yeah, because in Tom Brady's world, Tom Brady is the man. I'm sure Tom Brady gets to dictate this sort of stuff. But if I said to Mrs. Sleegick, I'm, I'm going to go to bed half eight and you can put kids to bed and I'll wake up at six and, and everyone needs to get with me because I'm the, I'm the man. It ain't going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. So I think we need <laughs> to like work out what works for us, not, not think somehow waking up at, at four in the morning makes us, makes us successful. And, and if I was a billionaire, what I would be telling people is get up at four o'clock in the morning because that's more likely to keep me being a billionaire because they're all really tired. <laughs> Good. So hopefully that's answered that question. I'm not sure if I've answered it in, in, in the most direct way, but... I like the fact that you've given it a really good go. <laughs> James, thank you so much, mate. It has been brilliant and fascinating to, especially helping out all the shit questions that Tom mainly asked. Um, <laughs> it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much, mate. I've enjoyed it. Sleep well. Oh, he's, no, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Oh, God, no. Sweet dreams can sound creepy, though. I, I used to use sweet dreams. It sounds all right when I'm saying it to my daughter. Oh, sweet dreams, because she always says sweet dreams about it. But now that I've said it out loud to you, I feel really weird. And now I'm going to struggle saying it to my daughter because you've ruined it. So if she has night terrors because she's got a weird dad saying sweet dreams... I'm coming to you and blaming you, James. Well, I stopped saying it from my mate. I put it on one of my emails from my mates and she sent an email back going, don't ever do that again. <laughs> That's weird. Joe, <laughs> sure, I know I always say that, but I very much enjoyed that episode. Yeah, when are we going to get to a point where you go, that was a really shit episode? Because it doesn't matter because it's at the end. So you're not offending the guests that you have on and also you're not putting the listener off from tuning in because it's at the end so you're, you're more than welcome to say that is a shit episode if you feel it but so I'm guessing you don't feel it I don't feel I'm worried that with your trust issues you you think I like too many of our episodes have there been a, there's been one or two that I might have had to tell a couple of white lies at the end of it without you know there's some question marks around it but overall I've learnt from those those ones but I really enjoyed James I loved his enthusiasm I loved the way he spoke about the job he does and also I was fascinated to know that me thinking I don't get enough sleep like you're meant to get seven to eight hours sleep that's the magic number to you know thing was complete bollocks he said you get as much sleep as you need to whatever suits you I was like that's brilliant I feel a bit better about myself doing that well that's good and if you've enjoyed it as much as Joe and I you want to support the show search for Joe Marler Show on Patreon if you want another podcast to listen to search for Murder in House 2 it's a 10 part series about the Haditha massacre in Iraq where 24 innocent civilians were killed, many of them women and children. It's a podcast that took 15 years to make, and it takes you inside the most expensive criminal investigation in the history of the US military. Go listen to it. It's called Murder in House 2. Who's on our next episode, then? And I, I will always love you. We're meeting Kevin Costner next week. One week soon, in the interim, Joe... We have a bodyguard. Good. Yeah, I've always wanted to meet Big Kev. Cheers. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.